welcome to episode seven of the Bubble Boys. This is Devin Olson joined by LP Spaulding. Today's episode, we're sitting here on a Monday night, day before the NBA regular season kicks off. So we're just going to kind of roll through the conferences, give some predictions on what we see, where we see teams finishing in each conference, maybe do a little MVP talk, a little finals talk. We'll get into everything, but you know, maybe more importantly than the podcast, I don't know how, uh, how much, uh, what's the word for it? How much emphasis we want to put on this pro city hoops, fantasy basketball league. First time we ever did it. We got 16 people entered in this thing drafts tonight. You know, I got, I got to get my boy LaMelo ball at some point. So if I see you taking LaMelo ball, the trade offers will be coming in hot and heavy. I'm going to say it's going to, my team's going to be absolute garbage because it's going to be all rookies. That's my <laughs> strategy. You want that upside, right? You don't want 20 and 10 every single night. You want that rookie who's going to have that splash game on sports center. That's my strategy. Yeah, exactly. We're, we might be vying over uh, Cole Anthony at some point. Is that going to be happening? Uh, he's going early. <laughs> you, you don't, you're not going to get him before me. I'm ready for the, I'm ready for the emergence happening. <laughs> well, that emergence might have to wait after the Orlando Magic threw their Nuts and bolts at Markel Fultz. <laughs> hey, that rhymed. I mean, I, I mean, you're a poet. You don't even know it. I, <laughs> I truly, when I saw that come across, I just put my hands. You're seeing it right now. Just my hands are right by my face. I'm just so shocked about why they really feel like they need to be the team that fixes Markel Fultz. Like, I don't, I don't understand. You drafted his replacement, who will be infinitely better than he will be, but. Whatever, that's fine. Let, let them do what they want to do. Yeah, the magic will be the magic. We're kind of at that point by now. But anyway, getting into how this episode is going to be kind of laid out, we're going to start with the Eastern Conference. For the Eastern Conference, we're going to have – so we each rank the teams by tiers, and then within the tiers, I think we kind of did like who we think will finish highest in that tier, at least regular season-wise. And for the Eastern Conference, we'll have you unveil your tiers in order – so from top to bottom, or we can go from bottom to top, whatever you want to start with. And then for the Western Conference, I'll do the same, and we'll kind of go back and forth on each team, saying where we have each team. And it'll make a lot more sense once once we start it. So do you want to start off with the East? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get to the nitty-gritty. We'll start from the bottom here. So in my fifth tier, from the bottom to the top, I have it going the following. Uh, the Cavs at the bottom, then the Bulls, then the Pistons, and then the Knicks. So when I kind of looked at this tier, I, I kind of looked at all these rosters, and we already know my feelings about the Pistons, but there's not a ton of push for that, uh, you know, 7 to 10 seed space for them for any of these teams. There's not enough talent. There's some fun talent. You know, I, I kind of jokingly call this the no-fun zone. Uh, we don't really like what the Caps are doing. They have two young guards, and then they just took a quarter at five. The Bulls are a complete mess. They didn't bring back like any of their pieces. There's no Chris Dunn there anymore. The Pistons are going to be a power forward mess. I mean, I don't know how you can start four power forwards and centers, but they're going to find a way. And then the Knicks are the Knicks, and they're the most interesting of this group for me. Um, I, I'm on record saying that I think that Obi Toppin is going to be the rookie of the year. Now, what kind of value that gives to you? You know, in the Eastern Conference or in general, to have your rookie be one of your best players, I don't really know. But I don't think Obi Toppin's going to be transcendent to the point where he's going to lift them to a higher tier. So he'll be fun to watch. But the rest of that team, I don't know if I really want to watch, you know, Bobby Portis minutes or whatever. So what did you think about Tier 5? 
So in my Eastern Conference, I had I had six tiers, but I guess just my bottom three. I had the Cavs at the bottom, then the Pistons, and then the Knicks right above them. I guess where we differ on this is I'm a little higher on the Bulls. I've been finishing ninth in the East, and I just look at Chicago, and I think they've been misused the last couple of years with Jim Boylan. Like, there's no doubt in my mind, like Jim Boylan was not a good coach. I don't think anyone believes that Jim Boylan was a good coach. But I still think the Bulls have some nice pieces, and I think Billy Donovan will help that kind of come together. They still have a lot of, like, when you look at Zach Levine, I think he's a great, let's call him a second or third option on a very good team. But, you know, he's going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting for this team, which is why I don't have him above ninth. But I like Laurie Markkinen. I still like Wendell Carter Jr. I mean, Kobe White has looked really good in preseason. I, I, I mean, I really like Patrick Williams. You know, the rookie they drafted at four. I don't really like him as a small forward, but that's how they're going to try to make it work. I I was on record saying I think he uh, fits better at the four in the NBA. But, I mean, I like a lot of the pieces they have. It's just going to be the challenge of getting them all to kind of mesh together. You know, they don't have a lot of, like, veteran talent or, you know, people that have won in the past. You know, Otto Porter and Thad Young are on the older side for that team. You know, Garrett Temple, I don't know. Do you like you like Garrett Temple? He's fine. I guess when I look through this, though, my my problem is I still don't see any players that make a difference on night tonight that aren't empty calories. You know, you look yeah. at Zach Levine, his, his critique for his whole career is that he's an empty calories player. It's going to look good on the stat sheet, but when you watch the game, he's giving up more than he's giving you. Otto Porter can be the same way. I like Colby White. But Kobe White next to a Zach Levine, I think they're very similar type players. They're scorer, they're ball dominant. I think Kobe White could get that label. Thaddeus Young's always had that label. The only people who are playing kind of winning basketball, in my opinion, are Wendell Carter Jr. and Ryan Archibiakino. So it's like, I don't think those two carries or players are going to carry you to a point where you're buying for playoff contention. Maybe I'm too low on players like Levine, and maybe Kobe White takes a step and shows a little more on defense. They do have some veterans, like you said, in Porter, Temple, and Young, but I, I just kind of all label this team as empty calories. So if Billy Dollarman can get these guys to play good, well on defense, you know, I'm a little more intrigued, and that's why before I was a little disappointed in Chris Dunn going out the door for virtually nothing for them. I mean, he was a player who was actually really fun to watch next to these pieces and helped them out a lot with, like, a Zach Levine because he was such a ferocious on-ball defender, so... Um, I like Laurie Markkinen. I won't forget about him. He's a nice piece. I enjoy him. But I just don't think that they have enough winning basketball players in their team right now to make any noise. Yeah. I mean, obviously I like him better than you. I think the the defense is going to definitely be a concern. Concern, Like you said, Chris Dunn was arguably their best on-ball defender, and he's going to be a great on-ball defender again for the rest of his career. But, like, to me, their offense is going to be good enough to where – I don't want to say Jim Boylan like ruined the team because like the team just wasn't very good, like with or without Jim Boylan. I don't think that would be the case, but Billy Donovan's just going to get more out of that group. Jim Boylan played some really wacky lineups. He did some really, you know, wacky things that just players just didn't agree with. So I think guys are going to play harder under Billy Donovan. I mean, I really like Zach Levine. I know you're not as high on him, but I think, like I said, I think he can be a second or third option on a really good team. I mean, he's a dead-eye shooter. Everyone saw him for the longest time as just a dunker, but he's more than that. Yes, his defense isn't the best thing in the world, but, I mean, that's where this team is going to make or break. It's going to be defensively. Otto Porter Jr., I think, is a pretty solid defender on the wing. He's going to have to play really well, but 
again, I'm not, I mean, I'm not super high on Chicago, but I see them more in that. I have them ranked ninth. I have them in my fourth tier, which is like the nine to 11 tier. So I'm a little higher on them than you are, but going up a tier for you, who's, who's in your fourth tier? I just label the tier to themselves. Maybe we're just going to be, this is going to be the podcast team, man. I have the, I have the Hornets as their own tier. Just they're their own thing. I have them as their own tier as well. Dude, they're just going to be fun. Like they have lots of players that we like. LaMelo Ball just adds to the fun. Like I'm curious, you know, with LaMelo Ball and what the real sign of him actually being a star is going to be is if he can get these former kind of bust type players to actually go off. I mean, you have Miles Bridges, who's a nice player, but he's always just been kind of an athlete. You know, he hasn't been anything special. PJ Washington's a piece that people really tend to like. I was really high on Malik Monk when he was coming out. He's the one guy that I kind of look at this roster, and if you're ever going to do it, son, if you're ever going to have a chance to knock down a bunch of jumpers and be the three-point shooter and offensive player you could be, it's with LaMelo Ball. I don't think Malik Monk's going to see nearly as open of shots as he will this year. Not to mention Devontae Graham had a nice year last year. I did I mind what they did at center. You know, they have two rookies with Nick Richards and Vernon Carey. So they're just going to be young and up and coming and fun. So not don't think they're going to be pushing. Maybe they can get to the 10 seed, you know, if they uh, really work their tail off because I do think they have a decent amount of talent that could get unleashed. But I think for pure fun, the Hornets are in their own tier. Yeah, that's kind of how I labeled it too. I have them finishing 12th in the East. And I think I actually think they can push that 10 spot. I mean, you look at Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier. Those are two solid guys that played pretty well last year. And, I mean, I think the hinge is not only LaMelo Ball, but, like, what do we see out of Gordon Hayward? What's he going to give you on a night-in, night-out basis? Now, he got hurt in a preseason game. They labeled it as day-to-day, so I'm not sure if he's going to be ready by Wednesday or not. I guess I haven't looked into his injury too much. But depending on what you can get out of Gordon Hayward, I think there's a chance they can get up to 10. Again, I have them ranked in my fifth tier at 12. So I'm not, I mean, everyone knows how much I love LaMelo Ball. There's going to be struggles this year. There's, I mean, you you see in this preseason, you see the flashes, you see the passing. The shot isn't there yet. I think it will get there. He's missed some open looks where, you know, those stationary looks, which I talked about that he needs to knock down. And I think he will start to knock those down. And I also put something out on Twitter the other day as we know, LaMelo Ball doesn't really like going in on contact and like just sizing up the big at the rim. He kind of shies away from that a little bit. And that'll come at, with time as he puts you know muscle on his frame and weight on his frame or whatever. But right now he settles for these little running floaters around the free throw line and a little inside of those. He was 0 of 3 on those type of shots on, I guess it would have been Saturday night, their last preseason game. But he's going to have to knock those type of shots down. Now, I really like this team in the future, though. As you said, P.J. Washington's a young, solid player. LaMelo Ball, really like him. Miles Bridges has some potential. And they just have a lot of young talent. Like when you look through their roster, the oldest player is Gordon Hayward at 30 years old. So they're going to be an interesting team. They're going to be a fun team. I got league pass for the first time this year, and you can bet that they're going to be one of my most watched teams. But moving on from the Hornets, who's, who's up in your next tier? So the next tier is kind of my pushing for that 7, 8, 9, 10 seed. So these are the real contenders, in my opinion. Uh, some of these might be surprising, but uh, the bottom of that tier to me is the Indiana Pacers. I'll get into that in a little bit. Then I have the Magic just above them. I have the Hawks. Then I have the Wizards. And then I round out the top of it in the sixth spot with the Raptors. 
So when I was looking at this group, I I think the Nate McMillan being gone from Indiana is going to have a bigger impact than people are saying. I think the people have lots of expectations for this Indiana Pacer team, but he got a lot out of this group. I mean, if you're looking at the roster from top to bottom, there's there's a couple pieces that you like. I mean, you like DeMontis Sabonis. Like, that's a universally well-loved player on a good contract that you can build around. But outside of that, I mean, in the bubble, the version of this team in the bubble was different than the version of this team the entire season. TJ Warren hadn't gone Super Saiyan by this time. I mean, he was unbelievable. He was their leading focus on offense. So I don't know if that's going to continue. I don't think you can just assume that it will, especially with a new coaching staff and everything. Miles Turner, we talked about him previously, kind of an empty calories player in the big, not somebody who is considered a really high-touted prospect anymore. Um, and Victor Oladipo is a huge question mark. There's just not a lot of, for sure, solid minutes on this roster for me to be comfortable placing them in that top six, seven, like everybody else has been. So are you higher in Indiana than me? Um, I'm, I'm not super high in Indiana this year. I have them ranked at seven. So it's kind of the range. I just don't know, like, in my opinion, Victor Oladipo is like the big question mark. Like, what are you going to get from Victor Oladipo? And I see, I just see a lot of other teams in the East that are just going to be better than the Pacers. Like I have them obviously a little bit higher than you, but you're not as high. You're a little higher on like the Hawks and magic than I am. So I guess how I have it tiered out my third tier, which is, would be the seven seed is the Pacers eight seed wizards and then bulls, magic Hawks at nine, 10, 11. So I'm a little lower on the Hawks, I think, than you are. And kind of going through some of those teams, just maybe starting with the Hawks, like I like what they did this offseason, but my big question is like, can they make all of those pieces fit together? Like how is a John Collins, Clint Capella, you know, front court going to work? Like in, there's not a lot of, I, I mean, I guess there's still time this off or this, this season, cause there's still 72 games, but you know, if a team gets off to a bad 10, 15 game stretch at the beginning of the season, like that's going to hurt this year more more than in years past, just because there's 10 less games. And like when you see teams make big changes over the summer, add in a lot of new faces and how's the ball movement going to work, who's going to take the shots and all those different question marks. I think you can see teams struggle at times, like right out of the gate. And I think that could be a problem for the Hawks. And, you know, DeAndre Hunter didn't have a great rookie season last year. Can he bounce back this year? I think, I mean, I really like Trey Young. Obviously his defense is another story. It's just not good. So I think I'm a little lower on the Hawks than a lot of people. Like I said, I have them ranked 11th, you know, kind of vying for that, that last spot in the play-in tournament, different things like that. And again, like, I don't mind what they did this summer. Danilo Gallinari, I like it. I think they overpaid for some guys, you know, Rajon Rondo, I like it. Getting different veteran faces into that locker room. It's just, I, I, I'm not as high on Trey Young, I think, as other people. I love his offensive game, but his defense is a big issue. And you can try to hide him as much as you want, but teams are always going to find him. It's You can hide him on an off-ball guy, but teams are going to put him in screening action to get him and get the matchup that they want. So, I mean, I guess that's where I kind of stand on the Hawks. But otherwise, kind of – go ahead. Yeah, and they, for me, I, I just want to – my theme kind of is the way I'm kind of ranking these guys is that I think – this is just an unprecedented te- you know, year, obviously, with COVID-19 and everything. But I'm trusting the teams with more depth than other years yeah. to have 
good seasons. You know, this these tiers to me aren't necessarily tiers for who I think are like the number one title contender. But you look at this Hawks roster, I mean, your big rotation to your point is going to be Clint Capella, John Collins, Adika Kongu. You're going to have Danilo Gallinari. You know, those are four very solid, above solid NBA players. John Collins is pushing for an all-star, you know. You had Gallinari had a good year. In the point guard room, you have Rajon Rondo, you have Trey Young, you have Chris Dunn. I'm just looking at the whole roster from top to bottom. This is a team that can take a hit, unlike a lot of other teams. And I have one exception to kind of my rules for that this year, but I'm trusting the deeper teams because, as we've seen through college basketball so far, COVID is inevitable. I mean, something is going to happen this season with COVID. Now, is that going to be every single team? Is it just going to be one or two players? You know, We'll see how it goes, but I think I trust the depth of this team, and I think this is the first year that Trey Young has been surrounded by players who are going to get in his face while playing Trey Ball, you know, just pounding the rock for 15 seconds and trying to use a last-second screen. I think there's enough veterans on this team who are going to go, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. You know, that might elevate his game a bit. So that's maybe too much of a leap for me, but I only have them at eighth. I wanted to put them higher, but you, I mean, for the same reasons you had, you can't put them higher because there's so many question marks with all the new pieces and everything. So I like the makeup of this team, but I, I think they have a higher ceiling that people might be giving them right now. Yeah, and they're they're going to be an exciting team to watch. I mean, anytime Trey Young is on a team and, you know, you put different talents around him, I mean, him and John Collins alone were fun to watch with all the lob threats that was. And, I mean, adding Clint Capella into that just kind of enhances it. I guess, I mean, the question marks just went out in my opinion. I think they're a deep team. I like a lot of pieces they have, but the question marks are, are too big in my eyes to solidify them as any higher than like that 10 to 11 range. And so I guess moving on from Atlanta, we can maybe talk not a ton about Orlando because, you know, Orlando is one of those teams that's just stuck in the mud and I have no clue what they're trying to do as a franchise. They took Cole Anthony. Love that. They just paid Markel Fultz way too much money. Don't love that. They paid Jonathan Isaac a lot of money. I do love that. So it's like, I have a love-hate relationship with the Magic. I like a lot of pieces they have, but those pieces don't fit well, in my opinion. Like, I look at their team and I, I see pieces like Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac, Cole Anthony, and I'm like, okay, this is a younger team. This, you know, maybe they can fit together. And then I look at, you know, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Vucevic. I think Aaron Gordon is vastly underused in Orlando. I think he has a lot of un, unlocked potential that he can kind of tap into if he was in a different spot. I just, I think when I look at their team, I see a team with veterans that should be trade pieces. I don't think you're getting anywhere with Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Vucevic as your core. And like the pieces, and they're kind of preventing you from getting into that top pick range where you can get like a stud type player. Now I think Cole Anthony can be that. So maybe, you know, maybe other teams being lower on Cole Anthony helps them in that sense. But when you're kind of middling in the middle of the Eastern Conference like they're doing, they're not putting themselves in a position to get a top pick and get like a franchise altering player. But they're also not, you know, if they make the playoffs, they're a first easy first round exit every single year. So, I mean, I guess what are your quick thoughts on Orlando? And I mean, do you see them as anything other than what I see them as? No, and I only have them here because no matter what their roster construction is, they just seem to find a way to get into the 8-9 spot. I don't know what voodoo magic they have over that spot. I know the East has been pretty poor as of late. There are some fun teams coming up, but just by the virtue of 
how many really terrible teams there are. The Magic will find their way into that 8-9-10 bowl. I guess one thing I am higher on them for is I think the, the youth movement is going to start taking over there. You know, you've seen a lot of older players go in and out there. You have Alfred Camino there. He's fine. Michael Carter-Williams. But you're going to have to make way for these guys. And the two I'm really focused on, we talk about a lot. Cole Anthony, don't even talk about him. But I don't want people to sleep on Chuma Okiki. All right? Chuma Okiki was a lottery pick that this team took with full knowledge that he was not going to play his entire rookie season. He blew out his knee in the NCAA tournament and was done. But to that point, for that Auburn team that made the Final Four run, he was an integral, humongous piece. He's a spacing, athletic, excellent shooting, small slash power forward. And he's one of those players that you could see the build of his body and you could see that his skill set was finally starting to round round about. He was starting to put a little on the floor a little bit more, a little more confident going to his left and finishing at the rim on the move. I think that he's going to be a bit of a revelation for this team if he's healthy now. Again, going through preseason and everything, we have no idea what his health looks like, but he is a lottery-level talent. He's someone, and I love these types of guys, and that's why I keep my mind on it. If he didn't get hurt, there was a good chance he was going top six or seven in that draft. Like a very, very good chance. I mean, he still went, I believe, 13 to 17 range as an injured player, basically taking a red shirt. So, you know, when you have two talents, you know, we're very high on, well, Anthony, I'm very high in Okiki. I think that infusion of talent could make the team a little more fun and give a little more juice than they've had in the past. Yeah, I think juice is a good word to use. Maybe they'll be a better team to watch this year in the past than, like, you know, DJ Augustine was their backup point guard, and they were... Unwatchable. Unwatchable. Yeah, they're, I agree. They're unwatchable basketball. And this year, I might actually slip over to some Magic games. Hopefully they get some more primetime spots. Yeah, most definitely. So moving on from the middling uh, magic down in Florida, maybe uh, a little more fun team, more exciting team, the Washington Wizards. Just ch- uh, checking in on them quick and touching on them quick. I mean, how? I guess how do you see the Wizards stack up? Right now I have Washington, let's see, in the eight spot. And people people kind of gave me some crap on Twitter. There were some people who were like, oh, Washington's going to make a big move in the East this year. And I sent a, a little sleeping a little sleeping gift back at them and – Everyone kind of freaked out about that. But, I mean, I look at the Wizards, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, obviously that's the big duo. Last year, Beal was a horrid defender, not good at all. And that was partly because I believe just, you know, he was carrying such a load offensively. Like when Bradley Beal was on the floor last year for the Wizards, they allowed 7.3 more points per 100 possession than when he was off the floor. So the defense with Beal on the floor compared to off was in the sixth percentile in the entire NBA, which is not good. But, you know, the mixture of Russ adding into that and maybe taking some of that offensive load off of him, I think that'll help. You know, they have Bertans, you know, Denny, Denny Avdia and Thomas Bryant. So some good spacing. You know, I'm not really high on Denny Avdia, but, you know, he's been doing some good things in the preseason. So we'll see what happens with him. But I think they're another one of those just confusing teams. Like, I think Russ is going to cook. He's got great spacing around him. He had one of his better years last year, despite what people say. You know, he kind of shied away from taking some of those difficult mid-range shots. So I think Washington's a player for the play-in game, but I don't see a lot of upside to Washington. Like, when has Russell Westbrook, you know, other, other than when he was paired with Kevin Durant and guys like that, when has Russell Westbrook been able to lead a team past, you know, the first round of the playoffs or something like that? And I don't see the pieces around them that gets them any higher than that. So I just wanted to touch on them quick. 
just because people were giving me a lot of crap on Twitter saying this team isn't anything more than a play-in first-round exit type team. Where are you on Washington? And they're nothing more than a play-in first-round exit team. So yeah. we can leave that at that. I love this roster. I love Deniafia. Sneaky Cassius Winston on that team. You talked about those veteran <laughs> point guards from college. I mean, he's a guy who's going to be able to step in and play right away. So this bench will be absolutely atrocious. Anytime that you don't see Bradley Beal on the floor, don't watch this team. But every other time, Russ and Beal will be fun to watch together. So they'll have enough to get them there, but they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. So maybe moving up a tier, I know we want to talk talk a lot about Philly. So who's in your next tier? I believe that's tier two and tier one for you. So tier two, I got the 76ers in my five spot, and I got the Celtics at my four spot. That's the end of the tier. And these are teams, in my opinion, that kind of took a blow from last year. You know, they – they had to do some searching, some resetting. So the Celtics, they still have that young core. They lost Gordon Hayward, which is not going to be easy to replace. I know that they still have Brown and Tatum's ascension and Kemba Walker, but those are minutes that you're not going to enjoy filling in with, you know, middling talent or rookies. You know, Aaron Jeff Neesmith Teague. Jeff Teague, baby. <laughs> Aaron Neesmith, I mean – the Celtics do have a couple wild cards, especially with their big rotation. Grant Williams showed a little sign of life. He was improving at the end of the year. And then you have Robert Williams, who unbelievably was not playing in the playoffs Or I don't know how he got himself in and out of the doghouse so much. He'd show up for games, play 18 minutes, have like six to eight boards and 10 points, and then he would just sit the rest of the game. So that didn't make any sense. But Philly is the one that's a real cluster. So... I have Philly in this spot because I don't see how this roster, as currently constructed, is going to overcome the same woes that have over, you know, been a part of them for the past three years now. I mean, you get Terrence Ferguson. You like Seth Curry, but Seth Curry isn't Steph Curry, so like he can shoot it, but it'll be a little bit of a liability on defense. You still have the unholy trinity of shooting between Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons. So. I'm maybe just too negative. You gave Dwight Howard some money. Future Hall of Famer Dwight Howard, that is. You added a future Hall of Famer. I like Tyrese Maxey. I just didn't see any spectacular moves to make me think that this team's going to do anything more. I think that they're due for a shakeup, and that's probably more why I have them in this spot than anything. All right. So before I go into my Sixers talk, which everyone knows I love Ben Simmons, so obviously I love the Sixers this year. Before that, quickly on the Celtics, I have them at sixth in the East right now, which is lower than a lot of people. I think they're going to take a step back. You know, some people have said they're going to take a step back. I think the Kemba injury is going to hurt them. You know, how long will he be out? You know, can they kind of tread water before he gets back? And, and you know, that primary type ball handler, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be doing a lot more on the ball, creating for others type of work. I think the Gordon Hayward loss affects them more than people believe. He was a plus five points per 100 possession on the court for them last year. And, you know, I don't see a ton of depth there. Like, I think Jeff Teague, you know, is going to have to play meaningful minutes. And Tristan Thompson is going to have to play meaningful minutes. And those are nice veteran pieces, but they don't do a lot for me. I saw enough Jeff Teague in Minnesota. Trust me. I, I'm not a Jeff Teague fan. I'll just put that out there. And maybe I'm being too harsh on Jeff Teague because, you know, he took the spot of uh, the Spanish unicorn Ricky Rubio in Minnesota. But... I'm not a Jeff Teague fan. I don't think he does a lot at this point in his career. He's slow on some passes. You know, he doesn't make the right reads at the right time. 
and he's not a guy that you're going to give the ball and say, go get me a bucket. And I don't know. I just think the Celtics are going to take a step back. And that doesn't mean they're going to miss the playoffs or they're going to be, you know, I mean, maybe they're a seven seed involved in a play-in game. I wouldn't be shocked if I see that, but you know, I don't see them falling out where they're not hosting a playing game in that very first round. They're still going to be a good team, but I don't think, you know, I, I see them as a first round exit this year. Okay. Now on to Philly. They're in my top tier along with Milwaukee, Brooklyn, along with Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I have them ranked three in the East. Philly, okay. What they didn't do right last year was spacing. Like, I think everyone can agree on that. Al Horford, everyone loved the signing. I liked the signing. It was like, okay, these pieces are going to fit together. And then they just didn't. It didn't work. It went haywire. I think they would have been better in the playoffs if Ben Simmons wasn't injured. So, you know, that's beside the fact. But this year, I mean, I look at the pieces around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, Danny Green, Seth Curry, both dead-eye. Okay, maybe I won't call Danny Green a dead-eye shooter anymore. You know, he's pretty inconsistent. But – they're both Seth Curry. We can call it dead eye shooter. He's one of the best shooters in NBA history, just statistically. But you know, Danny Green's a solid defender. He's going to be a solid team defender. I think Tobias Harris back with Doc Rivers is going to be better. He can kind of find himself more in a more spot up role and just shoot the ball when he gets past it instead of taking a pump fake and trying to do too much. But you know, Dwight Howard, fine off the bench, whatever. I like Tyrese Maxey. I think they have some better depth people than pe- depth pieces than people want to give them credit for. You know, what is Shake Milton going to be? He was kind of a bright spot towards the end of last season. But I went back to two years ago, and I think this team's a lot more similar to the team two years ago than last year. And like when you look at the shooters around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid now, I went back to two years ago when Simmons, Redick, and Embiid were on the court at the same time. And JJ Redick's a different beast. Like he's better than Seth Curry. But they're on a similar shooting level. And J.J. Redick comes off more action, more screens, and does more of that type of that the type of stuff. But with Simmons, Redick, and Embiid on the court two years ago, they were in the 99th percentile in terms of uh, points per 100 possession. They were plus 15.2. And then, you know, last season, they kind of went the other way where, you know, they were only 63rd percentile with Simmons and Embiid on the court. But then if you look at Simmons and Embiid on the court with Horford off the court, 77th percentile. So I'm very like, maybe I'm too, too much analytically driven in a lot of ways where I like see some of those numbers, but I think people are overestimating, you know, people say, okay, Seth Curry's in the lineup. What's their defense going to be like? I think Seth Curry's an underrated defender. I don't think by any means he's a defensive liability. Now there was times Seth Curry was trying to guard Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs last year. And and that you just can't do that. That's not happening, but Seth Curry doesn't need to be this team's best defender. Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the entire NBA. Danny Green's a solid defender. Joel Embiid's going to hold down the paint. You know, Tobias Harris, I wouldn't, he's not a good defender. He's not a bad defender. He's, he's just meh. Like he's, he's just Tobias Harris as a defender. And when I like, I put all the pieces together. I know I said this last year, but I'm going to say it again. Like I really like Philly. I think they can make a play at the Eastern conference finals. I wouldn't be surprised if they get to the NBA finals. I like their pieces. I like their coach a lot better than Brett Brown, but Ben Simmons can be like, I keep preaching this over and over again. When Ben Simmons is surrounded by the right pieces, he can be a top five player in the entire NBA. And that's why I don't understand looking at the James Harden stuff. If the Houston Rockets are offered Ben Simmons for James Harden, you do that deal in a heartbeat. You don't even think like, I wouldn't think twice about that. Like as an NBA GM, there are not many people I would want on my team 
over Ben Simmons at his age and like what he's already shown as a player. Maybe I'm too high on Ben Simmons. Am I too high on Ben Simmons? Let me know. No, no. I, I love Ben Simmons as well. I just, the biggest thing where we differ is the Doc Rivers edition. Yeah. So Doc Rivers is a Hall of Fame coach. He's done it with the best of them. He's, I mean, there's nothing bad about his coaching. But you're expecting Doc Rivers with the Clippers team he had last year, and maybe this is burned into my mind too much. There was a lot of stagnant half-court offense when I watched that L.A. Clippers team last year. A ton. And not a lot of willingness to run sets. Not a lot of willingness to find easy buckets, scheme up easy buckets for that team. And you're taking the head coach of that team, which had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams. They had way more scoring pop naturally. And they looked rough around the edges. And you're dropping them into a situation that is already rough. I mean, this offense in half court could be borderline unwatchable. And that's me being very, very harsh. I don't think it will be, but it has potential to be borderline unwatchable. Because what I saw from the L.A. Clippers last year offensively, awful. Just awful all the way around. So I don't trust Doc Rivers to be this salve for the offensive issues. Which means that where you see it as a team that was like two years ago, I see this as a team like last year. So we'll see how it bears out. You know, if they if they can't find a way to have Embiid and Simmons on the floor together, the problem is you're going to get maybe 80 cents on the dollar. Like, there's not another person out there. If you want to bring James Harden in, that's, that's his own risks. So I think this team has done some nice moves. Getting rid of Al Horford was a plus, not because he's a bad player, but because he wasn't the right fit. So I agree with you on that part. I trust the roster more, but I really need to see a lot of growth in the half court from this team for me to have any confidence in them making an Eastern Conference Finals or an NBA Finals. Yeah, and that's all fair. I think when I look at the half court, I guess I tend to go more towards they have Joel Embiid and there will be proper spacing around Joel Embiid. So in that in those stagnant type of situations, I think it's more of Joel go post up and here's the ball and do what you do. And their half court offense isn't going to be a top, you know, top five thing in the league. And I don't think it has to be. I think they're going to have one of the better defenses in the league. Matisse Thibel is obviously a hound when it comes to defense and he'll, you know, he'll be coming off the bench, I would assume. But they have really good defenders. They have shooters around him. I just think this is going to be a lot better than it was last year. And I wouldn't be surprised by any means if they're in the Eastern Conference Finals or even the NBA Finals when it's all said and done. But maybe moving on to your top tier, finishing out the East. Is there anyone you wanted to touch on? I know we're both pretty high on on Brooklyn. Yeah, so basically to finish up my top three, at number three I had the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Last year's... You know, it seems like there's a theme with this team now in terms of the second and third round of the playoffs. They get bogged down pretty easily. And maybe it's not necessarily a criticism on Milwaukee. I, I just don't think their offseason was as spectacular. I like Drew Holiday as a player. Um, but when it comes down to it, the same thing happens, is that when it comes to playoff time and you need somebody on this team to just go get a bucket, all right? Like, break somebody down, make something happen in the half court where it's tough. You have Giannis? But I think Giannis needs to be in the post a little bit more, if I'm being completely honest. I think that's more where his strengths will lie. He gets caught up at the three-point line. I mean, he does not he's not nearly as effective as he is when he's around the rim. And then I don't see DJ Augustine or Pat Connaughton or Dante DiVincenzo being that player to go get him a bucket. So Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, to me, are nice players. 
they're kind of number threes to me. You know, I think they're the third best player on the top finals team. Maybe cumulatively they can lift them a little bit. So I like Milwaukee, but I, I think they run into the same issues. But Miami is my big team, man. I love what this team did in the bubble. And given what they've gotten, the draft, I'm I'm even higher. Getting fresh to Chua, another perfect Miami Heat player to come into this organization. I mean, they know how to draft and develop, man. Draft and develop. They paid Myers Leonard this offseason, and he didn't even play in the last, like, 10 games of the playoffs. So I, I think this team is deep. Talking about my point earlier, they can survive a couple of hits. And, again, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit with this at two. They are the prime James Harden spot. Just the prime, ready-to-go James Harden spot. And if they don't pull that trigger, that's probably okay. Like, there's still going to be an excellent roster. Tyler Hero's ascension has been great. Kendrick Nunn started the whole season, was like the 11th guy off the bench. I just love this team's depth through COVID for them to stay in the top tier. Hot take. Is it How hot is this take? Tyler Hero's overrated. How hot? I mean, it depends what you're rating. I mean, he's a, he's, it's about the expectation, you know. He's going to finally get his starting spot, you know. It, is he going to be an all-star player this year? No. No, and I don't think he should be. But he is only 20 years old, and he's shown to be able to score with double digits in the playoffs, which not a lot of people can do. I agree with all of that. I like Tyler Hero as a player. I think he has a bright future. It's just when I see people labeling him as, you know, this all-star talent already or this, like, crazy transcendent-type player on the heat and how good he's been, it's like, I don't see it. Like, he's been solid. That's fine. He was terrible in terms of, you know, on-off numbers last season. I think he was he was minus eight points per 100 possession in the regular season, minus 9.7 in the playoffs. And both of those were under the 20th percentile. Like the Miami Heat were a better team when Tyler Hero was off the floor. And I mean, there's not much disputing it. That's just, you know, the numbers show it. And, you know, he put up good numbers. He had the 13.5 points per game on the 43% shooting and 39% from three. But I don't see it all with Tyler Hero yet. Like when I look at you know, Tyler Hero as the centerpiece in a James Harden trade, like, no thanks. Like, pass every single time. I see a debate between if the Houston Rockets would rather have Tyler Hero or Ben Simmons. And I, are, like, are you crazy? Like, get out of here with that. It's just – so I had Miami – let's see where I put them exactly. I had them fourth in the East. I still like them. You know, I really like the Avery, Avery Bradley edition. Gives them another point-of-attack defender. They were already ninth defensively last season. So he'll be good for them. Knock down some shots. You know, he can handle some ball handling duties when when Goran or Jimmy don't want to or they're out load managing. You know, General Soreness, king of king of starting the load management, I think. But I'm not uh, – I, I don't think Miami's going to be a player in the East in terms of playoffs this year. I'll just put that out there now. We can come back to it. I don't think they're going to be an Eastern Conference Finals or NBA Finals team this year. We'll see because, yeah, I think the team we're both very excited to see is the Brooklyn Nets team. Um, they're at the top of my list. You know, Kevin Durant, I, I, I'll own up to it. I wrote the article, you know, I think it was a year or two ago saying, I'm not sure if you want to pay this. There is not a good history of people coming back from Achilles injuries and succeeding. Now, Kevin Durant is an all-world talent and can totally break that precedent. It'll be interesting to see him and Wall come back, John Wall come back, and see how they look. And maybe this is not as big of a concern, but Kevin Durant has looked every bit of, not every bit, he's you know 90% of the player he was before, which is still a highly, highly effective player. And again, it's a common theme, but the depth on this team. You have Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, 
Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, Joe Harris. Wait, did I just hear you say Jeff Green? The number one fan of this podcast, Jeff Green? The patron saint of Pro City, (laughs) Jeff Green. Yes, himself. Tyler Johnson, DeAndre Jordan, Karis LeVert. You know, technically the Wawa Cut Row had a nice showing in the bubble. Uh, I just... You can't, and Torian Prince is a complete afterthought. Signed that deal to come to Brooklyn, and he had a miserable year. But now, instead of having to be relied upon to be the third or fourth scorer, he could be like a fireball off the bench. Plus, you have Landry Shamit. There's just so many pieces on this team, so many different ways for this team to win. And, uh, again, I, I love a depth, especially when you know you're going to have to give Durant rest. Kyrie might be trying to walk off the flat earth or something, so you might miss him for a couple games. I, I don't even know. So. The more depth you can have, and the, the crazy part is that Reggie Perry is even getting buzzed out of camp. Like He's like the 15th guy on their team, and he's just like a piece they could throw in there. So I like this team. They they are a team I really think is going to push the East to a different level. You know, I really want to see what teams like Milwaukee and Miami do with this Nets team. Yeah, love Brooklyn. I have them ranked second in terms of you know Western or Eastern Conference regular season predictions. But as we'll get to at the end of the show, I have them going to the NBA Finals. I mean, you've talked about it, the depth, Katie and Kyrie. Like, it was pretty simple for me. You have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, two of the top players in the entire NBA when they're healthy. And, you know, that would be a key question. Can KD and Kyrie stay healthy? But, like, other than that, Karras off the bench, I think that's a great idea. We saw what he can do as a lead ball handler in the bubble. I'm not as high on Karras as a lot of people, but I think he can be great off the bench in that six-man, you know, fireball-type role when you're resting KD and Kyrie. And you've seen times when Karras or when Spencer can kind of lead an offense by themselves. And like now they're that third and fourth type of option on that team. So like, as you said, the depth this season is going to be so important. And like if Kyrie or Katie miss time, like they're not going to all of a sudden fall to one of the worst teams in the East. Like they were a eight seed last season, excuse me, seven seed last season without those two guys on the floor. You know, Joe Harris is going to get a lot of easy looks. He's going to knock those down. Landry Shamit, same thing. I mean, you talk about all their depth. You know, DeAndre Jordan, rebound and defend. That's all you got to do. Jared Allen, rebound and defend. Do those kinds of things. Steve Nash has a lot of good assistant coaches around him. You know, Mike D'Antoni's there. I really, I, I like everything about Brooklyn. And I think, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I think they, like, no, James Harden, do not, don't touch it. Like, just leave what you have right now. You have a good setup. Katie and Kyrie is enough because then if you get James Harden, you start saying, can James transition back to, you know, playing in a team type setting, you know, alongside Katie and Kyrie, or is he so set on, give me the ball, let me do James ball, as people call it, and, you know, dribble and step back threes and all those kind of things. But I really like Brooklyn. I think they're going to make the finals out of the East. And like, I don't understand it. It's, it's pretty clear to me. Like, there's not a lot of – I think a Milwaukee series would be kind of fun. I'm a little higher on Milwaukee than you are. I like DJ Augustine compared to – you kind of you kind of scoffed at the name DJ Augustine, which which I did not appreciate. I did not appreciate the scoffing at DJ Augustine. But, you know, DJ Augustine off the bench. Milwaukee didn't really have a great backup point guard situation at all last year. So I think DJ Augustine, you know, his 10.5 points per game and 4.5 assists per game in the 25 minutes he played with Orlando last year, I think that can help. They were already first in defense last year. They're adding Drew Holiday to that mix. I think there's an interesting matchup with them in Brooklyn if if they meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because then you're you're looking at, you know, a Giannis KD type matchup where those two are defending each other. You have Drew Holiday, you can throw him on Kyrie. Like 
Milwaukee matches up pretty well with Brooklyn. I think that'd be a very interesting series. But is there anything you wanted to get to on any other teams in the East before we kind of just run through the entire list? No, I'll drop through my list. So I'm just going to go from 1 to 15 again. I have the Nets at the top, followed by the Heat, then the Bucks, then the Celtics, then the Sixers, followed by the Raptors, the Wizards, the Hawks, the Magic, the Pacers, the Hornets, and then the bottom of the barrel, Knicks, Pistons, Bulls, Cavs. What do you got? So starting at the top, I have at the very top Bucks, Nets, Sixers in my top tier, and then Heat, Raptors, Celtics in my second tier, Pacers and Wizards in third, third tier, Bulls, Magic, Hawks in the fourth tier, Hornets in the tier of their own, and then at the bottom of the barrel, Thibodeau and his Knicks, the Pistons, and the Cavs. Fighting Tibbs. Fighting Tibbs. Okay, so moving on now to the Western Conference. We'll start at the top this time. And for the West, I had five different tiers. I think the West is a lot more clumped than the East. I think there's a lot of teams on the same level, and I think the Western Conference playoffs will be really interesting this year. So just starting at the top in my first tier, I have the Lakers and Clippers. And that's it. I mean, I don't have a ton to say about these two teams. The Lakers, they have LeBron. You know, there's always the questions of if if LeBron's going to slow down or when he's going to slow down. But he was just playing basketball like two months ago. So, like, why is he going to slow down in the span of two months? LeBron's going to be great. AD's going to be great. You know, they did some different things with bringing in Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell. Obviously, Wesley Matthews kind of replacing Danny Green. I think the Danny Green thing is being overblown a little bit. I think people are like, yeah, yeah, they're whatever. They got rid of Danny Green. That's fine. He sucked in the playoffs, this and that. Like Danny Green's a loss. Like there, it's not, you can't just blow Danny Green out of the water, but like, I think Wesley Matthews can do a lot of the same things Danny Green can. So I'm not too worried about that one. And, you know, Montrez, you know, he's kind of a, he's a guy you bring off the bench and he can win you some games off the bench. You know, he's going to bring the spark, the energy, I think LeBron and AD are going to rest a lot this year. They just got done playing in the NBA Finals like two months ago. So I think they're going to get their share of days off. And I think the team will be able to hold up when they're getting their days off. You can kind of move Dennis Schroeder into the starting mix and hope for some more out of him, Kuz, and, and Montrez. And I think, like, I think the Lakers are going to be in the mix. But kind of going on to the Clippers just quick, I think everyone overstated everything that happened last year. It was kind of blown out as a bad environment. and. You know, that's kind of what I'm chalking it up to. It was a weird year. Whatever happened, happened. I think the Clippers are going to be great. I mean, I think Paul George is going to bounce back. Everyone kind of forgets just two years ago, Paul George had an MVP caliber season. And last year, everyone, you know, everyone, Paul George is a meme on Twitter. (laughs) It's just, it is what it is. You know, I've done it on the account and whatever. But Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are two very good basketball players. And they still have a lot of very good depth. You know, they just signed Luke Kennard to a, insane contract and you know whatever you think about that you think about it but he Luke Kennard gives them another kind of secondary ball handler that can you know handle the rock and take some of the scoring load off of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and they just have a lot of good pieces I think the Serge Ibaka addition is great I mean Zubats is fine I don't think he's a starting caliber center just of the way he fits with the modern NBA Serge will kind of be able to spread the floor give a little more spacing to Kawhi and PG, and then defensively, Serge is awesome. Serge is a guy I've wanted in Minnesota for a really long time next to Cat. But I guess kind of what do you think about those two teams or who's at the very top of your your tier in the West? So I'll touch on your teams before I get to mine. But, you know, I talk about tale of two teams, man. I mean, the Lakers just basically 
built upon their championship team and then stole the Clippers model. The Clippers strength last year was their depth. You know, I, we don't, I don't want to overblow Montrez Harrell, but Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell was an absolute force for the Clippers. It propelled them to be a top seed. I mean, they won a lot of games because of that pairing. It's going off. It worked so well together, and now you've replaced it with players with not as much firepower. I'm just looking at the guards on this team, and I don't see anything that's changed. You have Lou Williams and Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. And I, I mean, I guess Paul George is the guard as well, but his handle has been suspect as a playoff. So Two of those like, gopher boys, Daniel Oturu and Amir Coffey, they're going to make big splashes in the NBA, right? Yeah, yeah, like all the other past gophers that have, right? But... <laughs> I just, I just think that this team's strength is now no longer that much better than other teams. I don't think that their depth is overwhelming to the point as an advantage like it was last year. And that might drop them five to six games. And in this West, if you drop five or six games, I mean, you're, you're going to fall your way into the middle of the pack. So I, I worry about them. But the Lakers, my goodness, I, I actually have them too. Um, I think this is going to be a rest year for AD and LeBron, like you say. I don't think you're going to get the full effort, which is going to lead for a, a new team to kind of overtake maybe that one seed and go for that home court advantage. You know, maybe a younger, hungrier team, a little bit more to prove. And for me, that team is the Dallas Mavericks, man. I have them two on my list, but it would not shock me to see the Luka Doncic ascension year and have the Mavericks be pushing for the number one seed in the West because that's something that they want. And I don't think what they showed in the bubble is any joke, man. That team can score. Last year, the all-time leader in offense in history of the NBA. I mean, that's unbelievable stuff. And I think Luca showed a very scary version of himself in the bubble that is going to be awesome to watch night in and night out. So I'm high on the Mavericks this year. Uh, do you have them in a different tier, I'm guessing? Yeah, so I have them in just the second tier, so right below the top tier. But, like, I love Dallas, too. I'm a little worried about the the Kristaps injury and how long he's going to be out for. But I really like what Dallas did this offseason. Like, as you said, they had a historic level offense last year. And so they kind of moved Seth Curry, which helped with that offense. But they got Josh Richardson in return, which is going to help their defense. I've said it before on these podcasts. They were just like mismatched with the Clippers last year. They could have beaten the Clippers last year if they had the right defenders in place. You know, there was times when you saw Seth Curry on Kawhi Leonard or Luka Doncic on Kawhi Leonard. And that's just not going to happen this year. You know, Josh Richardson's going to take on a big chunk defensively. Getting Willie Cauley-Stein, who didn't go to the bubble last year back, I think that's going to help. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr. is still a solid piece. They drafted Josh Green this year. I really like what Dallas did. I still think they're a year away. It wouldn't surprise me if they get to the Western Conference Finals or be that level of a team. But the injury to Kristaps worries me a little bit. How will he respond and kind of come back and how quickly will he do that? But, like, Luca's amazing. You know, he's going to be an MVP candidate. And any time, and when people question the Seth Curry for Josh Richardson move, I just tell them, like, when you have Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, you're going to have a top five offense no matter what. Like, they're going to get points. They're going to, you know, feed the rock to other people. They're, it's going to be a good offense when you have those two caliber players on your roster. So, like, the move made complete sense to me. It's one of those trades that I saw as, like, a win-win for both sides, you know. Sixers needed shooting. They got Seth Curry. Mavs needed wing defenders. Boom. They got Josh Richardson. So I really like what Dallas did. I think they're still a year away. I think, you know, it might take some of these pieces some time to kind of mesh in together, see what Josh Green can be. You know, is Tyrell Terry going to turn into anything as like a backup type point guard? 
you know, I think he might take a little bit of time more than just coming in this year and making it work. How will Trey Burke be? He was pretty good in the bubble, but you know, can he kind of keep that going? So I really like Dallas. I wouldn't be shocked if they were one of the, you know, Western conference finals or if they were in the top three in the West, but with the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, I mean, the West is just so loaded. So I had them coming in at five. But other than that, also in my second tier, starting at the third seed, I have the Nuggets. Fourth, I have the Blazers. Fifth, I have the Mavs. Sixth, the Rockets. And then seven, Jazz, all in that same tier. And, I mean, the Nuggets are going to be good. They are you know they have Jokic. How much of a step can Jamal Murray take? And he kind of keep his – I don't think he can perform to the same level he did in the bubble because that was just ridiculous. But can he kind of take another step forward? You know, what will MPJ, MPJ do? Can he become more playable defensively? He has a good build and a good makeup to be a solid defender in the NBA. It's just he doesn't know completely what he's doing yet on that end of the floor. So maybe another year will help him. I think the loss of Jeremy Grant is being overblown a little bit. I, I'm glad they didn't get him back at that $20 million number. I don't know what Detroit was doing with that. Because Jeremy Grant is a good complimentary piece, but he's not. When you're paying him $20 million, you should be able to be, create a little bit or, you know, have, have some more offensive game than be a complimentary piece, in my opinion. And, you know, Paul Millsap came back. I like that. He did not have a good bubble, but you know, he's, still, he's still got something left in the tank, in my opinion. So Nuggets are going to be good. But then the Blazers, I really like the Blazers. Like, they're – I think the Blazers and Mavs are my two, like, sneaky picks in the West that could, you know, make a blow into the Western Conference Finals or even get into the NBA Finals. And I like the Blazers a little more than the Mavs just because of their you – know, one veteran leadership and maybe more continuity, I guess, you know, CJ and Dame have been playing together for a long time. You know, everyone knows what they're going to do offensively. Dame can be an MVP candidate again this year. Dame's great. One of the best point guards in the entire NBA. And their big problem in the past has been wing defenders. And, you know, that's exactly what they addressed this off season. They went and got Robert Covington, one of the best wing defenders in the entire league, Derek Jones, Jr. Another really lengthy, solid wing defender. And then Gary Trent also played really well in the bubble, knocking down shots and playing defense. So I think the Blazers have a really good mixture of stuff. And I don't know how that stuff will fit together. I think it will fit together. And like with Nurkic coming back healthy, the Blazers are interesting. Zach Collins, you know, he was hurt last year for a big chunk of time. So what does he do coming back? The Blazers, they're definitely a team I'm going to be keeping my eye on. I have them ranked fourth right now, and I have them in the second tier which I guess implies that I don't think they'll be going to the finals or anything like that, but they're my sneaky, sneaky team in the West to, to get to the finals. Other than the Clippers and Lakers, I don't think like for teams in my second tier, I don't think the Nuggets, Rockets or Jazz are like finals contenders in the West, but Blazers and Mavericks, like if everything clicks, like watch out for those, those couple teams. But I guess what, how about for your tier? This is my favorite tier, probably of everything that we did. I, I think that any of these teams could really make a huge jump. I'm high on the Nuggets. You know my love for Bull Bull. I think he's going to get some more minutes this year, which means Jeremy Grant is going to be forgotten and gone. I mean, the big thing for this team is you saw what they could be when they got Gary Harris back and healthy. He's an important part of their team. He missed a lot of playoffs. And he came back, was able to defend. He just kind of solidified the mess that was this team. But, again, the Nuggets have so much depth on the roster. You love it. Blazers have so much depth on their roster. You love the Mavericks. We've already talked about I'm high on them. The one thing I'm looking at your tier here that I am going to woefully disagree with is Houston Rockets. I have the Houston Rockets all the way down as my 14th team. Because <laughs> I think this thing is ready to blow. 
I am hedging. If James Harden is there looking thick as a snack, I mean, they're going to be a playoff team. I mean, he might have aged an entire other version of himself, but he could still ball. I mean, I don't even care. The problem is I think that Harden is long gone on his way out. He is wearing his teammates out. Hear P.J. Tucker interviews where P.J. Tucker says, I just want to talk about P.J. Tucker. I mean, we love P.J., but when you're getting to those types of comments, you know, and it's not even the start of the season yet, James Harden experience is limited in Houston, and I think he's going to nerf this team. If you take him off this roster, I mean, you have Daniel House, Boogie Cousins, John Wall, the, the corpse of John Wall and Christian Wood, who we like, but I don't, I think that losing a James Harden level player is a huge pitfall for this team. There's not another guy on that team that's going to be able to take the, that type of role, and especially when we've been running this offense for so many years now. You, I don't think you can just rework it on the fly. Like you're not just going to be able to play an entirely new version of basketball with the shortened version of the season. So. I think things could go very, very sideways for this Rockets game. I'm guessing you're a little higher than that on them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm a little different on the Rockets. Now, I agree they they take a fall if James Harden isn't there. And the big question is how hard is James Harden going to push for this thing and how, you know, how miserable is he going to make life around that organization while he's still there? You know, you kind of saw it with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, and I think the situations are similar. They're both under contract and they both want out. You know, Jimmy Butler made life hell for Minnesota while he was there. You know, there's the rumors of the practice and everything he was doing behind the scenes to kind of, you know, show that he wanted out and he was willing to go to whatever means possible to get out. And there was even rumors that he would have a season ending surgery if he was still there at this point. So I'm very curious to see what James Harden does and how that looks and like what that looks like, I guess. But even without James Harden, I think this is at least a playing team. This is a still a top team in the West, in my opinion. I don't think they fall the 14th because we have to remember when you trade James Harden, you're not just you know losing James Harden. You're you're going to get something back in return, and it's going to be something good. And let's say let's say it's the Sixers, Nets, or Heat that are the favorites for James Harden. So you're either getting Karis LeVert, Tyler Hero, or Ben Simmons to add on your roster that day. So I think that, coupled with John Wall, Boogie Cousins, and uh, Christian Wood, is still something. It's not what it is with James Harden, and you know that's expected. James Harden's a top five player in the NBA, and you know when you lose a top five player in the NBA, your team's going to take a hit. But I still think that team's a playing team. John Wall, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't think he's going to return to previous form. But I think he's going to be productive. I really like Christian Wood. I think they still got him on a steal of a deal, even after the bigger number came out. After initially, it was like for the mid-level exception. And I was like, that, that's crazy. But I think Christian Wood's going to be great. I'll be interested to see if Boogie can stay healthy. Boogie looks really slim, and he's looked good in preseason. So I like the Rockets more than you, even if they make a John Wall trade. Or excuse me, James Harden trade. I think I think there's still something there. It's not a title contender, but... It's not 14th in the West, in my opinion. That's uh, probably more than fair. Is there anybody else you want to touch on in that tier? Um, not necessarily in that tier. I guess Utah, just quickly, I have them at seventh. Their big thing for me is, you know, what does Donovan Mitchell's next level look like? He played really well in the bubble. Can he kind of continue that type of play? And 
like what is Mike Conley going to look like or Boyan Bogdanovich when he, you know, he didn't go to the bubble. So when he comes back, you know, the big question with Utah is that secondary playmaker. And, oh, okay, one thing on Utah, what the heck were they doing with that Rudy Gobert contract? Like, come on. If you pay a guy $205 million, I understand he's great, great defender, great shot blocker, but offensively, like, like get out of here with a screen assist. I don't give a crap about a screen assist. That is not a statistic. Like, I realize it exists, but, like, get out of here with that. You know, Aaron Baines would be one of the best players in the NBA if we all we cared about was screen assists. But, like, what did you think of that contract? Because I, I hated it. I was not a fan. Maybe they had to do it, but – you know, Rudy Gobert is not one of my favorite centers. Every single time I hear his name along with Jokic, Embiid, you know, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, I'm like, get out of here. Like, I don't care about it. He hasn't found playoff success. He's not a good perimeter defender. So if they ever switch out, you know, if he faces a stretch big, he has problems with them. Like, I don't understand that one. No, you're not going to hear any good things coming from me either. I mean, unless he – learn to shoot threes in the offseason. I mean, it signals the wrong thing for the team. You're, you're moving toward a spacing version of this team. And now you're not going to give close touches to your $41 million man. I mean, I I doubt it. And that's not good for the Jazz as a team. You need to get the ball into your creative players and still use Rudy as a screen and roll type player. So that I was hoping they were going to move on and do the smart thing because I pretty confident they drafted a player with a very similar profile so i guess we got my i got my answer which is they're doubling down on giant seven foot centers <laughs> eight foot wingspans to have on the floor at all times so good luck with that yeah and just for me like quickly the 205 when you're paying a guy 205 million dollars you got to have some shot creation out of that like 205 million dollars warrants some shot creation and rudy gobert has absolutely none of that and hey whoa whoa the jump hook creates its own shot yeah the jump hook is unguardable yeah something like that but i love rudy gobert actually i don't i don't love rudy gobert (laughs) i'm not even gonna lie (laughs) i'm sure he's a good person whatever but he aggravates he aggravates me as a player and i don't know why but i thought that was a a dumb move and he gave everybody covid so you know what that's cool yeah but i guess moving on to the next tier my third tier so this would be starting at the eighth seed i have golden state Pels at Pelicans at nine, Suns at ten, the Minnesota Timberwolves at eleven. I'm trying to say that quietly because I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what Minnesota is. I don't know what we're gonna be, and I'm prepared for heartbreak again. And then the Grizzlies at twelve. That's my third tier. And I guess just quickly, like I've been saying, Timberwolves around the nine to ten range in the past. So I didn't want to go too far off that. I put them at eleven, vying for the play-in spot. But like it took some guts. And to put the Grizzlies below the Timberwolves after what I saw in the preseason. Yeah. It took some guts. I had to think about it, think about what I wanted to do. But I did it because I think when it comes down to it, this team has the talent. They have talent. Carl Anthony Towns is amazing. Maybe I'm higher on Carl Anthony Towns than everyone else. But if this dude was in a big market, you'd be hearing about how good he was and how transcendent of a type of player he is. And you hear none of that in Minnesota. And that's fine. Whatever. I think we're going to have a good bench unit. I don't understand cutting Rondé Hollis-Jefferson when you didn't need to because, you know, this team needs defense, and that's what Rondé Hollis-Jefferson did. It was kind of funny. We were just talking about how much should Rondé Hollis-Jefferson play next to Cat last week, and I was talking about how people were, you know, getting 
getting, I was getting messages asking, you know, is Ronda Hollis Jefferson, should he be the starting power forward next to Cat playing 32 minutes a night? And one week later, and he's gone playing zero minutes a night. So I still like Minnesota. I have him at 11. Uh, but other than that, Golden State at eight. Obviously, the clay injury hurts them. I think Steph, Steph Curry will bounce back. I guess not bounce back, just come back from injury and be fine. I'm interested to see what Jay, Draymond Green looks like. I saw a picture of him on social media, very slim, and you know looked like he was in really good shape. I think James Wiseman's going to be good. Kelly Oubre will be solid. I think they paid too much luxury tax for the rights to Kelly Oubre, but that's kind of beside the point. And, and my boy Andrew Wiggins out there in Golden State, he's going to be the next star. You can trade him for Giannis or Bradley Beal or – LeBron James, whoever you want. Andrew Wiggins is the best trade chip in the NBA, according to Golden State fans. So what do you think about, about some of those teams, or who do you have in your third tier? Golden State is a team that gives me the biggest headache just because on paper it should work. Right. I just don't know if the pieces are going to be the same. Like, can Steph Curry at 32 – be the driving 30-point-a-game offensive player every single night. I just – I have a lot of questions. I They looked terrible before Steph went down with an injury without Clay. Now we have skinny Draymond, so does that mean he's playing a three instead of a four now? Ooh. Andrew Wiggins is a pile of hot garbage. <laughs> That's fine. We'll just deal with that. So I have them at 11, and I have the Wolves at 12. Um the Grizzlies, I was a little higher on just because it looks like John Morant is taking the next step. I am very curious, though, looking at uh, the Suns. Because I think the Suns are making a push that is similar to the Pelicans, where making the playoffs this year is more important to those two franchises than anybody else on this list. The Warriors are hopefully going to be contenders, but you know you got a bunch of titles to back up. You're not really on an upward trajectory. You're kind of having a stay year waiting for Clay to get back before you're a real contender again. Now, that injury took them basically from being a possible title contender to just kind of a middling 7-10 to 10 seed team. But the Suns have made a lot of aggressive moves to try to make this roster a win-now roster. They took their bubble success and they said, all right, we're all in. We're going to make sure that we keep Devin Booker happy. You get Chris Paul into the mix. You draft Jalen Smith for whatever reason. Um, but Mikhail Bridges is an excellent player. I just I like the way this team is made up, and I don't think that the bubble is a fluke. And adding Chris Paul, seeing what he was able to do with the Thunder last year, I mean, he is more than capable of taking this roster to the playoffs, even in the Western Conference, which he did last year. I totally forgot that at the OKC. It's like a five seed last year with a way inferior roster than this. So I think there are going to be a lot of big things going on in Phoenix. So I had, I like a lot of what you said about Phoenix. Where did you had Phoenix at eight? Is that what, is that right? I believe so. Yeah. So I had Phoenix down at 10. So in that last playing spot, I'm a little more hesitant on Phoenix than a lot of people. Again, I like them. Devin Booker's awesome. You know, come to Minnesota. Little plea there. Devin Booker, D'Angelo Russell, Carnathy Towns, please. But uh, the dream's alive. The dream's dream's alive. alive. But you said one thing quick. You said uh, it's more important to the to the Suns and Pelicans to make the playoffs than anyone else. And like I agree with that. I I would add the Timberwolves in there just because of the Carl Anthony Towns situation. But like when you look at the Suns, Devin Booker wants to win. Like you need to get him into the playoffs. When you look at the Pelicans, now maybe it's not as important for them, but like just because they don't have any looming big free agents or anything like that. Zion's still under contract for uh, three. Four more years, including this one. So 
But then with the Timberwolves, the Carnathy Town situation, they need to start winning and doing something. Otherwise, he's out the door. But going back to the Suns, the DeAndre Ayton thing is like the biggest X factor. What can DeAndre Ayton be? Because we know Devin Booker is going to get buckets. We know he's going to score. Chris Paul still appears that he's going to have the ability, you know, make his teammates better. I think, you know, you'll, you'll see him resting maybe a little bit more this year, too. He's getting older. I think he's 35 now. But I, I'm, I'm hesitant to put the Suns anything more than the 9 to 10 spot. I don't think they're going to get up into that top 8, top 6 type range where I think their bubble success was a little overblown. You know, they had a lot of good pieces that played their best basketball at the right time. I like Mikael Bridges. I like Cameron Johnson. I like those type of pieces. And, you know, Dario Saric played really well in the bubble too. But I'm hesitant with the Suns. Like, is CP3 even the same player as last year? And I know people are going to be like, well, you know, he just stopped playing basketball three months ago as well, and he was still playing pretty well. So I agree. But, you know, CP3 is getting slower. He's getting older. And he's not going to have to take, like, a heavy role. But – I don't know. There's something that's just making me hesitant about the Phoenix Suns. I don't know what it is, but I think people were too quick to say, oh, they went 8-0 in the bubble. This is a top six team in the West. This is a – I don't think they're anything more than a 9-10 to 10 seed. And I think there's potential for them to be, you know, miss the play-in completely, like altogether. I don't think this is as set in stone as everyone says. But, like, like what is it about Phoenix? I guess what's the thing? Because I don't see a lot of depth there. Like, we've been preaching a lot of depth, and there's some. Like, they added Jay Crowder. That's nice. You know, Langston Galloway is a fine piece. But I don't see any – like, if someone goes down on their team, it's that's going to be hard to recover for them. And I guess that's a, the way it is with a lot of teams in this range, and that's why they aren't higher. Like, you know, say Brooklyn has the depth to sustain an injury or the Clippers have a depth, the depth to sustain an injury. But with Phoenix, like, I think their depth lacks. And I like – I just don't – I don't know what it is. Like, there's something about Phoenix. I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's my hesitancy on their depth and hesitancy on Chris Paul. But there's something there that I just don't know. It's it's giving me pause. He's a – you're just a desert hater. You just hate yes. the Suns. They're your favorite franchise because Devin Booker won't come. Now, I hear you on the depth thing, but it's one of those things where I'm, I'm hopefully the – the bubble showed that the pieces are bigger than the whole, you know, Cameron Johnson and Jay Crowder on paper aren't going to, you know, be humongous assets, but in the role that Phoenix is asking them to do, which is be a stretch four, an undersized stretch four, knock down corner threes at a 35, 40% clip and space that DeAndre Ayton can eat in the middle a little bit. And then you get Devin Booker on pick and roll. I just, I think that that's, the strategy, and I don't think that it needs to be that complicated because defensively is where this team picked it up. Your question for DeAndre Ayton and why I can totally understand why you're nervous about this team is that this team's defensive rating went through the roof in the bubble. They started playing excellent team defense, and Ayton started showing some defensive prowess he hadn't shown before. If that shows up this year when you have pieces like Mikhail Bridges and Chris Paul is still a feisty defender, I mean – that's what's going to propel this team going forward because the offense is set to be around Chris Paul, DeAndre, and Devin Booker. And the rest of the pieces just need to knock down open shots. But if they can't match their defensive intensity from last year's bubble, they're not going to have a chance. I mean, Dario Saric was getting unbelievable backup center minutes for them. and He was defending his butt off too. So 
that is the big question with this team. Probably what you're seeing, why you wouldn't trust them. Yep. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's exactly it. I'm just confused by them overall. So I was hesitant to put them anything more than 10. Like, can they be? Absolutely. They have a lot of pieces, but we'll see how it all plays out with Phoenix. But I think, I think people overblew their success a little bit in the bubble. I'm kind of curious, curious about where they end up, but maybe moving on, maybe moving on to the next tier. Do you have something quick to add about that tier? I was just going to say, why do you hate Greg Popovich and Devin Vassell? Why do you hate them so much? The what Spurs. Yeah, so the next the next tier, I have the Spurs and the Kings. That would be 13 and 14. And then I threw the Thunder in the tier of their own down at 15. But, again, the West is so loaded. Like, there are – I believe there's 14 teams in the West that believe that they can make that play-in spot. I think the Spurs believe it. I think the Kings believe it. I mean, maybe the Thunder believe it, but you know, they're just – crazy if they believe that because I don't see what the Thunder have that will make them a play-in team in the West, but there are 14 teams in the Western Conference this year that could realistically make the play-in tournament, and I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Like, the Spurs, I really like the Spurs. I like what they did in the draft. Devin Vassell was my third-rated player in the entire draft. He's long, lengthy, great defender, can knock down shots. They just paid Devin White an insane amount of money. I don't know why they did that, but I like Devin White as a player, but not for, I believe it was a four-year, $73 million deal. Like, I wouldn't pay Devin White that kind of money. Like, he's a $10 million type year player for me, 10 to $12 million type player. They have some – they have – what I like about San Antonio is they have some youth in, infusion kind of coming in. They have Vassell, DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, you know, Derek White, and that kind of pairs with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. And I, I should probably have put them higher because Greg Popovich is a terrific coach. He gets everyone, gets the best out of every single player that comes through that organization, and they're going to compete. Like, if we're being realistic, like, if you had to take a bet and you said, is it more likely the Spurs are in the plan or out of the plan? Like, what what, are, what would you take? Um, I would put them in the plan. Uh, I'm just trying to think about it. What was their playoff streak again, Devin? How many consecutive oh. seasons? 22 straight seasons of them making the playoffs? Obviously, this is not the same type of roster, but I will bet over and over that they find a way. This team is just a zombie. It does not matter. As soon as you put on that black and silver, you are a stone-cold killer, and I don't understand it. Rudy Gay has had a resurgence there. My boy Trey Lyles is somehow just floating around. I mean, they just throw names at you. They have good schemes. They score when places that are unconventional, but it still keeps them in games. Patty Mills is going to give you his crazy energy. It's just a roster that is going to overperform because Pop is the coach. So I would take that bet that they're in the top ten. Yeah. So maybe 13 is a little low, but I'll I'll stick with it. I'm not going to change change when I was thinking this through earlier, but I like a lot of the pieces on San Antonio. There's not really any reason that they're 13th. I just like other teams better, and that's kind of the nature of the Western Conference right now. You're going to have to leave out some some good teams, but uh, the Kings. I don't really have much to say on the Kings. It's going to See how Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox play. You know, how does Marvin Bagley play? I like Hal Burton on that team, but, you know, will losing Bogdan Bogdanovich hurt them? Yes. You know, he was a really good piece on that team. That had to be a tough, tough decision on whether or not to match that contract. But, you know, I don't see the Kings being better than a lot of teams in the West. I think they're towards the bottom. And I mean, then the Thunder, I mean, they're rebuilding. I saw something today. I think it was by Zach Harper put out a power rankings and kind of a conference predictions as well. And he had the Thunder 13th in the West and said, this team is going to be better than most think. 
and I went through it again and I looked and I was like, like where, like, I like, I was just confused on where this team is going to be better than people think Al Horford is now underrated for whatever reason. Cause people saw him in Philly. Like you said earlier, it was a fit thing in Philly. It wasn't a talent thing. You know, he'll still be fine. You know, Shea Gilgis Alexander's up and coming. I really like him. But like, other than that, like where, like, why is Shea Gilders Alexander and Al Horford getting you anything more than last in this Western Conference? Because because of Alexei Pokashevsky. Yeah, and I mean, guy. I agree. That's what this season should be. Like, throw him out there for 30 minutes and say, this is the NBA. Start figuring it out. Like, see what you have. Give him as many minutes as possible. Give him as many shots as possible. Throw these guys out there. Throw them into the fire. You don't have to play like guys like George Hill and Al Horford. You don't have to play them 34 minutes a night because you're not going to be competing for a playoff spot. So throw these young guys out and see what sticks. Because, you know, with rebuilding teams, I think that's the biggest key is throwing some of these young guys out there and seeing what you have in the future. And then you decide if they're a part of your future or not. And that's the best way to go about it, in my opinion. No, I agree. This is more about them trying to have a shiny new Kate Cunningham or Jalen Suggs than anything else. They that's all they're trying to buy for. This is not an indictment on the entire roster organization. They just know what they're trying to do. You're tanking. You're getting that first pick. You're getting the shiny new player, and then you're infusing into this young roster. So we can move on to that. Hot, hot take. Jalen Suggs is not a shiny new player. Just going to throw that out there. Just going to throw that okay. out there. We, will, we, we don't need to talk draft anywhere near right now, but I already know I'm going to be lower on Jalen Suggs than a lot of people. All right, but how about your Western Conference? How does that end up looking now, top to bottom? Yeah, so top to bottom, just running through it. Top tier again, Lakers, Clippers. Second tier, Nuggets, Blazers, Mavericks, Rockets, Jazz. Third tier, Warriors, Pelicans, Suns, Wolves, Grizzlies. Fourth tier, Spurs and Kings. And then fifth tier, the Thunder. What do you What do you got in the last? Tier one, I have the Lakers, the Mavericks, and the Nuggets. Tier two, I have the Clippers, the Blazers, and the Jazz. Tier three, I have the Pelicans, the Suns. Tier four, I have the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, the Wolves, the Kings, and the Rockets. And then my fifth tier is the Thunder. Yeah. So I guess kind of that kind of wraps up the Eastern and Western Conference predictions. I guess we can go through the playoffs a little bit quickly, just in terms of you know finals matchups. I guess what do you see in terms of the you know NBA Finals? Who do you think makes it from each conference? Uh, I've got the Mavericks and the Nets. MVP pick too. I have Luka Doncic winning the MVP this year. Dallas, just all in on Dallas, just not holding back. You held back on Cole Anthony a little bit, and you said not again, not happening again. Yeah, I, I can't. But this team is prime. You know, there's certain players that were missing from the bubble last year that would have been huge to what you said in the playoffs. They were beating the Clippers. But they just couldn't defend the Clippers in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they made a very good defensive team look like absolute trash in the playoffs. And, you know, the Lakers are going to be a heavy favorite. I think that they are an excellent squad as well. But it's hard to repeat, man. It's hard to do the grind. Your players are getting older. I think this is the year of the young guns. This team has a lot of chemistry, and they have all the pieces they need to be successful. So I got Mavericks and Nets in the finals of Luka as MVP. What about you? Yeah, so for MVP, I got Giannis. I believe that would make it three three straight years for Giannis. But, I mean, he's just I mean, he's, a, he's a stud, especially in the regular season. He's going to get his buckets. He's going to put up the numbers. The Bucks are going to be you know towards the top of the East. So he kind of gives you everything a MVP candidate, like, 
you need out of an MVP candidate. He puts up the numbers and his team is towards the top of their conference. I really like Luka as an MVP type candidate. I just don't think Dallas is going to finish high enough where he's going to get, you know, that big consideration. Like I think he'll be in the talks, but in the end, I just think, you know, Giannis is like built for the MVP award. That's he's an amazing player and his team finishes towards the top in the regular season standings. And then in terms of the finals, I also have Brooklyn and, but in terms of the West, I have the Clippers, which is a little, I don't, it's not too far out there because you know, that two LA teams are still going to be amazing, but I haven't seen a lot of Clippers projections for the finals. And I don't understand Like everyone was on the Clippers last year. You know, they're going to, they're the better team in LA, this, that, you know, they blew a 3-1 lead against the Nuggets and now all of a sudden they suck, but I don't understand it. They didn't lose too much in the offseason, in my opinion. They have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George still. I already said Paul George is going to make a comeback. He's going to be great. He's going to be a star. People are vastly underrating Paul George now. And I think they're the better, they're the better LA team this year. And I think they would have beat LA last year had they played. I think they're I I think they're they're still very deep. They have a lot of guys on that team that know how to play and know how to win. For whatever reason, it didn't get put together last year. And I'm just calling that an anomaly. It's it is what it is. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe the Lakers, maybe the Mavericks, you know, maybe the Timberwolves go to the finals. But <laughs> the Clippers are Clippers are my pick. But anything else you wanted to touch on before the season starts tomorrow? Other than uh, um, I'll be coming out of this fantasy draft tonight with Lamelo Ball and Cole Anthony. I mean, you wish, but no, I'm just excited to get the season going, man. It's good to have basketball back and up with the players. It sucks, but as a fan during COVID, it's been fun to have this much basketball already and available to us. We had just kind of a hectic off season that felt like it went blink of an eye. So I'm excited to watch the game, see the rotation, see who looks good, see who I can make fun of, try the Pistons. Right. So. <laughs> Well, Pistons play the Wolves opening night. They they might start off undefeated. Pistons one and all. If I if they lose to the Pistons, <laughs> if the Wolves lose to the Pistons, I might have to come back on here and issue some sort of an apology. But my God, I who's who's guarding Blake Griffin? <laughs> I, does it matter? <laughs> if you put Jake if you put Jake Lehman on him, it does. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, but I guess I assume that the Pistons will guard themselves with four centers starting. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. All I know is, in, at the end of the day, the the Wolves will be hoisting the hoisting. I was about to say the Lombardi, but that's not right. The Larry yeah, O'Brien Chair Trophy at the end of the year. So Timberwolves twenty twenty one. But anyway, other than that, thank you for joining episode six of the Bubble Boys. You can fo- follow Pro City Hoops on Twitter at Pro City Hoops. Instagram at Pro City Hoops. You know, we started up a a TikTok, but there's like two videos on there. So if you're a TikTok type of guy, you know, you can follow that at Pro City Hoops. Find some highlights on there. But other than that, go Wolves. Peace.